welcome to the very first episode of Estradial Illusions. I'm your host, Ian Thomas Malone. For those of you who don't know me, I'm an author, transgender activist, and film critic. My book, The Transgender Manifesto, has been a bestseller in LGBTQ nonfiction since it came out in fall 2017. I do a fair amount of academic writing, including contributions to college course books on Star Trek Voyager, Netflix, and James Cameron, the latter of which came out this past fall. I also tweet a lot about video games, A Song of Ice and Fire, Downton Abbey, Disneyland, and 80s new wave music, among other things. Before we begin, I wanted to lay out a bit of my plans for the podcast, because while this episode will focus on transition-related stuff, future episodes are going to be all over the place. This episode and the next are the only two solo shows I have planned for the foreseeable future. Next week, I'll do an overview of America's history with impeachment and the prospect for articles to be filed against President Trump. From there, I have a lot of great guests planned for some exciting coverage of Game of Thrones' final season, with weekly recaps and analysis of every episode. Over the next few months, we're set to do four separate episodes on 90s video game systems, one on sexism in A Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, two on specific Disneyland-related topics, and a few more discussions with interesting individuals from media and LGBTQ activism. This episode will be way more personal in nature than every other planned, but I figured that was the best place to start, as there's so many people out there who don't have a ton of experience with transgender people, something I hear pretty much every week, even though I live in a pretty gay part of the country, Long Beach, California. For years and years, I've wanted to do a podcast, but I've been afraid that my interests don't exactly translate into a coherent show, and most of my experience in this kind of stuff comes from rambling on Facebook Live. Also, not really the best thing for uh, creating a cohesive experience. To that I say, fuck it, let's have fun. The topic of today's episode is transitioning on your own terms. If you're not familiar with my work, or if you've never seen a picture of me, you might be surprised to hear that I'm a transgender woman based on my masculine first names or my voice, which sounds super gay, but decidedly less super feminine. Neither one of those traits particularly falls under the category of what you might expect from a quote-unquote Typical transition, which is a concept that we can all kind of understand as something that exists in the abstract, but not necessarily something that needs to be part of our reality, for there is no typical transition. We cannot live our lives in service to an unclear set of rules we feel is being forced upon us by societal expectations. This journey has enough headaches without all that crap. As I said earlier, this episode will be pretty personal in nature. I don't normally talk about myself in my work and don't really love doing it. But it seems like an important place to start, especially for the people out there who don't really know me, or for people who pick up this podcast months down the road and say, gee, what's up with Ian's name? Of all the things I'm asked about with regard to my transition, invasive questions about my private parts that people feel comfortable presenting for whatever reason, keeping my name is by far the most common. There's this lingering perception that the decision makes my life harder, as if bathrooms do name checks before walking inside or if bartenders freak out and run around in circles after hearing of a girl named Ian. This may come as a big surprise, but life goes on. To explain the thought process for not changing my name, we have to venture back into the dark ages that defined my early days of transitioning. Despite what you might hear on right-wing media, transitioning is not an activity accomplished with a snap of a finger. The whole process is slow as shit at practically every turn. It's literally not a decision that can be made in a whim, because there are no whims to be found anywhere. The months after I decided I wanted to transition felt like being perpetually trapped at the DMV with no air conditioning and no decent crappy snacks in the vending machine. Imagine yourself sitting on the floor, or somewhere else that's semi-comfortable, 
and think about some things you might like to change about yourself. Not necessarily things you definitely want to change, but stuff that's on the table as possible areas for alteration. The exercise is probably awkward, most likely at least a little silly, and certainly pretty uncomfortable. Maybe you want to get a little more in shape, or you want implants, a nose job, a giant tattoo of Hello Kitty, or simply just a giant robotic tail attached just over your tushy. Your body is your oyster, at least for these imaginary purposes. For cisgender people, the exercise flies in the face of body positivity, but we're allowed to speculate every once in a while. Revisit your findings at another occasion, perhaps the following morning or even an hour later. Does that list look the same? Smaller? Bigger? Maybe some stuff that looks ridiculous in hindsight? That's okay. I felt the same way. Accepting the fact that I needed to transition felt like a huge weight was off my shoulders, knowing that the years of fighting to stay in the closet were over. There was all this energy to take transitioning by the horns, except there weren't really any horns to grab at. The whole what-comes-next phase lingers because there isn't some welcome committee waiting to ferry you to your destination. You are the pilot, except you're not exactly cleared for takeoff. Not yet, at least. There's a few dozen doors to get through before doctors, therapists, insurance reps, and society at large agrees to get behind this whole thing. I've always liked laying on the floor listening to vinyl records. Nothing against seating, but the floor makes the whole activity feel like a scene out of an indie movie. Perfect for the mood of transitioning. The kind of of coming-of-age moment that deserves a killer soundtrack. Full of timeless coming-of-age classics. To create the illusion that every emotion could be adequately summed up by a decent montage halfway through. Life isn't like film, but sometimes it's better not to think about that. It took a long time for transitioning to not feel like something in the abstract. A theoretical exercise that I could or should cast aside the following day. In a lot of ways, that was all for the best. I can rag on how slow the process was and is, but there's a certain part of me that does appreciate that I went into my first HRT injection, knowing I'd thought about what I was doing for more than five seconds. Life-changing decisions call for time, but that time allowed me to think about the things in my life I wanted to change, as well as certain things that might make sense to keep the same. As much as a woman named Ian might seem mildly ridiculous, or completely ridiculous, imagine for a second how the notion of changing your own name would feel. How do you address yourself in your inner monologue? Assuming you have one. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that everybody does, because I do. Although that may be just because I'm weird. Try calling yourself by a different name for a few hours. You might not want to, but that's also kind of the point. I didn't really want to either. This may come as a bit of a surprise, but people don't generally pick their own names. Nicknames, sure, but the words on your birth certificate aren't formed by conference committee right after you leave the womb. Your parents pick, and that's kind of that. There's no future check-in moment where you get to reevaluate the decision. Unless, of course, that's something you want to do. Plenty of transgender people change their names, but that doesn't really make the process any less unusual in the grand scheme of things. Desire being the key point in all of this. So there I was, laying on the floor, smoking some weed and thinking about new names. I laughed a lot because I thought the idea that after 20 plus years, I teach myself to stop going by Ian was impossible. If I couldn't do it, how could I expect anyone else to? Was I supposed to say, Excuse me, I know we both have known me as Ian, but now I must go by this name, even though I don't really want to. I did it because I think society wants that of me. You must now call me X, because that's uh, how this apparently works, according to someone. The question then shifted to whether or not I wanted to wage a war against dead naming that I didn't really want to fight. 
I kept laughing about new names. Mary Poppins being the one I kept returning to. Years before the sequel even came out. It's good, by the way. Not just Mary Poppins Malone either. No, I wanted Mary Poppins Ian Thomas Malone. Or Ivanka Tiffany Malone to keep the initials and piss off the Trumpkins in the process. Daenerys Stormborn Ian Thomas Malone. Joke names because I treated it as a joke. Other people take this process seriously, picking a name that carries some personal meaning to them, be it from family or an inspirational figure. And yet there I was making a mockery of the whole thing. I've taken so much of my transition seriously, the life-altering hormones I'll have to take for the rest of my days here on Earth, all but ensuring my demise in the zombie apocalypse, lest I find some hidden stash of estradiol. But I couldn't approach that topic with a straight face. And if the rules of the apocalypse are something like, I don't know, Fallout or Resident Evil, um, it may not be that hard to find the estradiol, depending on what difficulty you're playing on. That's a problem for a different day, though. There probably won't be podcasts in that in that future. But uh, it, I'm sure it'll definitely happen. I just didn't care about being deadnamed. And I certainly didn't care if anyone thought that decision was weird. And plenty of people do. For those of you who aren't familiar with the word, deadnaming is when you refer to a transgender person by the name, typically birth name, that they used before transition. Assuming, of course, that they go by a different name. The most obvious example would be to use Caitlyn Jenner's former name to refer to her in the present tense. I cannot be deadnamed because I still go by Ian. The term is similar to the concept of misgendering, which refers to intentionally labeling a transgender person by incorrect pronouns. Deadnaming as a word sounds pretty bleak. Makes me think of Dampe, the gravedigger from Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, the creepy guy in the village who only comes out at night. And the reference that, I don't know what percentage of the people listening will understand that, but... Google him. The dude is a creep. Dampe, D-A-M-P-E. I don't know if there's YouTube clips or something, but it still gives me the chills uh, 20 plus years after playing. There are plenty of practical reasons to change your name. It's easier to navigate society with a name that corresponds to the sex you present as. For many, a new name allows you to escape the struggles of your past. A fresh start. Those weren't things I cared about, though. I also struggle with the notion that I needed to change my name, knowing there are plenty of unisex names out there. Had I been named Morgan or Alex or Lindsay, it would have been such a big deal if I kept my birth name. Such a gray area reminds us that the names we're given when we exit the womb don't possess some existential power on the individuals we become. To make anything more of one's name is to place a bit too much trust in the whole notion of destiny. Being a published author and someone who's written a lot of shit online for years also put me in a weird position for changing my name. After all that time building up my platform, I loathed the idea of creating this big continuity schism for something I wasn't even on board with. I hate the idea of my work being divided by pre-transition and post because that sends the message that the person I was before is gone not really how this whole process works and pretty much everybody i still talk to who knew me before i transitioned all kind of makes the same remark that i haven't really changed all that much this is a terrible habit that i don't recommend but on rare occasions when i'm drunk and feeling sorry for myself i indulge in a bit of masochism and i go online and google old bad reviews of my books never good ones because misery loves company but happiness isn't quite as needy i don't do this very often but sometimes it's a great game to whip out for a pity party. It's sort of like the drunken uncle of constructive criticism. 
best named destructive criticism. Changing my name would essentially render any Google search for Ian Thomas Malone to be a journey through a graveyard, the collected rubble of Alderaan from Star Wars, to take everything I'd written or things that have been written about me and suggest the notion that this person doesn't exist anymore or somehow evolved like Charmander into Charmeleon. Maybe not quite Charizard just yet. And every time I felt sad, I could type that name in and see the person I used to be. Everything before would be like a spent booster rocket after the shuttle was propelled into space, crashing down into the atmosphere, destined to be forgotten. All I wanted was to live life as a woman, not to harpoon the first decades of my existence off the face of the earth. I'm not ashamed of the person I used to be, and I have no desire to kill off the testosterone version of ITM. The concept of a quote-unquote former self is fairly misleading when you stop to think about it. Every time you reflect on an old memory from years ago, you're presumably not fully talking about the person you are today. That whole thing called maturity is supposed to spark some kind of personal growth. We don't normally pause while telling old stories to remind everyone that our high school self is dead. Even the people who used to be assholes back then. Yet that sentiment persists for transgender people. Whoever you were before the name change goes away. Just like that Thanos snap. Dust fades into memory. Until a sequel is needed and then you can come back. There are plenty of reasons a transgender person would want to forget their past. Or the near entirety of their pre-transition experience. But society should offer some wiggle room for the segment of the trans population that doesn't necessarily want to make that change. We say all the time there's no right way to transition. But there are of course traditional aspects of the gender binary that we're expected to uphold. The pre-transition transition period aka the time when I was preparing to come out and start hormone replacement therapy, was the scariest period in my life. I didn't fear the unknown quite as much as the closet, but it was pretty damn close. I didn't know how my life would change, which of my friends would still talk to me, or if I'd ever be able to live a stable life. Jerry's still out on that last one. At that point, changing my name seemed like one more piece of me stripped away beyond my control. Transitioning is a process designed to alleviate gender dysphoria, which is the medical term for the distress that a transgender person feels from having a gender identity that differs from the sex assigned to them at birth. Dysphoria affects transgender people differently, and the severity often determines the course of action for transition, or whether it's needed or desired at all. Over the past few years, organizations like the American Psychiatric Association and the World Health Organization have made great progress in establishing the difference between gender dysphoria and simply being transgender, rightly removing the stigma of mental illness from an entire group of people. For me, at least, all the yucky bad feelings were gradually thrown out the window once I faced dysphoria head-on, and I haven't experienced it in any meaningful way since I started hormones. When you're first starting your transition, however, there's not a heck of a lot you can do to immediately ease dysphoria. And most of the available options tend to fall under the category of superficial. I spent a lot of time on the floor thinking about how my life would look in a few years once I'd figured out all the transition stuff. Future tense, because there's all these moving pieces that have to be tackled before you can start the process. From the moment you make the decision to the next day, there's strikingly little difference beyond that particular weight lifted off your shoulders, finally realizing that you have to come out of the closet. The media loves to portray transgender people, particularly trans women, as flamboyantly expressing the extremes of femininity, building up the straw man's woman person of feeling like a woman in order to dismiss trans people entirely. I can't really tell you what it's like to 
feel like a woman? A question that we tend not to ask people on a day-to-day basis. I do know what it's like to feel as though my body doesn't match my gender identity and sensation that I haven't experienced since transitioning. If the absence of that agony is what feeling like a woman is like, so be it. Perhaps that's why cisgender people struggle with understanding what it means to be transgender, having no actual experience with these sensations. That Shania Twain song perfectly highlights the difficulties of expressing what it means to feel like women, with short skirts and crazy nights on the town, hardly representing a collective experience that unites an entire gender. Go out and ask a stranger what their gender feels like, and you're bound to get a weird answer. It's not really something that people think about. Media portrayals of trans women that focus on makeup or fancy dresses miss the point. Because people don't transition so they can start buying more shit at Sephora. I felt my early days of transition were spent living with those notions constantly hovering around me, knowing full well that putting on makeup and a dress before going out wasn't going to fix any underlying problem, but still craving the sense that I was doing something proactive to move the ball forward with my transition, to prepare myself to live life in a different way. In hindsight, the only real productive thing I did was to not completely go insane waiting for the hormones. All the early things I did to try and embrace my transition didn't really make anything easier. In fact, most of the shit, namely throwing myself out there, just made me feel tired. I'd made an effort to go to parties, match with people on Tinder, trying to build up something resembling a sense of confidence. I know I didn't look very feminine, something that doesn't really matter in any meaningful fashion, other than the fact that I wasn't really that interested in embracing body positivity at that stage in time. If anything, I was trying to get used to looking different, unconventional, the kind of person that people stare at in public for a few extra seconds. Passing is an impossible standard that no one, transgender or otherwise, should aim for. It's bullshit on par with the sense of paranoia you might feel on your first day of school, like the whole world is looking at you. The world isn't, even if some people are. Fuck passing. You do you, or allow yourself enough patience to get to the point where you want to be. There are certain practical sacrifices transgender people make to the notion of a binary on a daily basis. Early on in my transition, I tended to always favor full makeup and dresses when going out. Not necessarily with the intention of quote-unquote passing, but to at least look like I was making the effort to play along with societal expectations. I was called out in the bathroom once in passing by a woman leaving the facility, and I'm sure that influenced my mentality of the concept of presenting. I could have stopped and reminded her that California has non-discrimination laws in place for transgender people, and that legally I have just as much a right to be in there as her, but when you're feeling vulnerable, confrontation isn't always high on one's list. Abstractly it should be, but much of transitioning involves operating with the understanding that reality isn't very just. Just trying to get by. If you've ever worn makeup or a dress out, or seen somebody getting ready, you probably know that the whole process is pretty much a huge pain in the ass. In the early days of transitioning, I always had to add an extra 10 minutes to my routine, knowing that I'd probably screw up four or five times with zigzag eyeliner or bronzer that made me look like that fool in the White House. Wearing makeup can be very fun, but having to wear makeup is often decidedly less fun. Years into my transition, I wear makeup maybe two or three times a week in nice stretchy jeans or yoga pants for the rest of the time. Stereotypical gender norms be damned. Occasionally, I get asked if I think keeping my name hurts the image of me as a woman in other people's eyes. Of course it does. 
In choosing to retain that sliver of my pre-transition self, I have sinned against the almighty legitimacy debate, a topic I cover extensively in the Transgender Manifesto. Perhaps I'd have more of a problem with that notion if we lived in a world that hasn't consistently put down women for doing anything that society once considered predominantly masculine, such as wearing pants, having short hair, or simply doing a job once considered man's work, like that terrible quote from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which is a movie you should never show your children at Christmas. It's horrible. Maybe that should get its own episode next year. (sighs) America has pulled this bullshit all the time. So, of course, some people will think less of my femininity because of my name. Femininity sounds a lot like uh, the beginning of Finding Nemo when Nemo's struggling to say anemonemony. Anemone. Say that a few times fast. On the surface level, thinking less of my femininity because of my name makes some sense. Society often sees transgender people as wanting to play the role of their desired gender, even if individuals don't necessarily consider transgender people to be legitimate members of that group. A decision made in seeming defiance of that whole notion goes against the conventional thought on how transgender people exist in relation to the cisgender binary, namely as individuals seeking to integrate into their correct gender classification. Trouble is, that whole argument falls apart when you move beyond the surface level forcing way too much importance on the role of names, which are again parts of our identity typically assigned to us without our consent. Beyond the unisex names, there are plenty of women with conventionally male names and men with conventionally female names. As a big Star Trek fan, I frequently point out that the lead of Star Trek Discovery is a woman named Michael Burnham, though plenty of real-life women have that name. Actress Michael Learned played the family matriarch on the longtime CBS drama The Waltons, which aired the bulk of its run in the 70s, which means nobody who watched that when it first aired is probably listening to this, but we'll use that example anyway. To my knowledge, no one has accused her of being transgender on account of her masculine name. To knock a person's gender identity on account of their name is not only wrong, it reflects a misunderstanding of the role that names play in our lives. And that role is... quite little. A person named J. Thaddeus Montague V isn't destined for greatness because they're the fifth of their name. They carry that name because their parents certainly want them to be. I picked that because it sounded like J. Thaddeus Toad of uh, The Wind in the Willows or The Adventures of Ichabod or Mr. Toad. And most importantly, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which is getting its own episode in the future. Just you wait. The frustrating part of the whole name explanation is that it's simple to understand, but not one of those things that people are necessarily going to go out of their way to think about. The surface-level mentality can persist because discourse doesn't mandate that a person needs to consider all options, hence why online debates are typically such fruitless endeavors. One side can't win if the other side doesn't need to lose, but can go on thinking the earth is flat and climate change is simply God turning up the thermostat. I can tell you I don't really care that people knock my femininity because of my name, and that's mostly true. I just say fucking hide in the anemone. When people press me on why I didn't change it, offering up outlandish reasons like I'm trying to have it both ways, as if not conforming to gender norms is something society rewards, I usually respond with stupid answers, such as, the real reason I didn't change my birth name was because I wanted my career to have a Gandalf the Grey and Gandalf the White era instead of a Magikarp slash Gyarados dynamic. Another Pokemon reference. 
The real reason I didn't change my name is that I have half a stack of business cards from Vistaprint that I didn't want to go to waste. It's true that I do have the half stack. I don't know how much that would have factored in. It's nice to know they're not going to waste, though. Or the real reason I didn't change my name after transitioning is because I was afraid I wouldn't remember it when I was waiting for my coffee in Starbucks. I live above a Starbucks and they all know my name, so that you know that that's something that people may have been concerned about. Pretty good reason. Or the real reason I didn't change my name after transitioning was that I had a bunch of save files and video games and I didn't want to be confused. Or one of my favorite answers is when people ask me why I didn't change it and I say, Oh, I forgot! And then I ask them to help me come up with a new name. It can be funny, if not a little tedious. There are plenty of folks out there who think transgender people are a bunch of mentally ill pretenders. It's hardly a leap to suggest that many people who can't wrap their heads around the idea of a girl named Ian probably belong to that category anyway, though as a whole society is gradually becoming more aware of transgender issues. To some, I can't explain my decision. And while that's kind of annoying, it's also okay because I don't really need them to understand. I just need to have the basic human sense of dignity that we all deserve. Transitioning doesn't come with a guidebook, even if society can understand a few general common aspects of the journey that many of us go through. Name changes, hormone replacement therapy, top surgery, breast implants, bottom surgery, hair removal, voice training, etc. There's a backlash against laws that make transgender rights conditional on surgery or therapist letters because such procedures and processes aren't right for each and every transgender person. Even if every single one of us could afford a surgery, it's not medically advisable for all people. Something that shouldn't be particularly complicated for anyone to understand if you simply Google what these surgeries entail. Surgery is brutal. Some people's bodies don't react well to certain types of hormones, and plenty of people have medical needs that preclude HRT entirely. It can be very hard on your liver. That's why it takes a lot of monitoring. None of this should be disqualifying for any transgender person, because there's not some transgender high council acting as an arbiter over LGBTQ life. There is no single right way to transition. I'd shout this from a mountain if I thought it would help me get my point across. It's a personal journey that requires individual considerations. What works for one person may not work for another. There isn't some transgender checklist, because each person needs to figure out what works for them. There are, however, plenty of wrong ways to transition. Allowing yourself to be guided by what you think society wants of you instead of what you need is a terrible long-term strategy that isn't going to bring you much happiness. Forcing yourself to have an invasive, expensive surgery that you don't want simply because you don't think you'll be seen as authentically trans is another bad idea. Choosing to come out of the closet is a rejection of the so-called standard of hetero cisgender normativity. A way to take control of your own life. There's simply no reason to cede that direction to another potentially flawed set of guidelines. While I occasionally quote-unquote pass, I don't really kid myself and think that a large portion of the population I interact with doesn't see me as transgender. I don't try to hide it, but I also don't live life under the illusion that my name and my voice are the only two things conveying to others that I am in fact different. It's okay. I'm not really trying to hide anything. A big part of transitioning is an acceptance of the person you really are, willing to face reality because you know it's better than the alternative. Keeping my birth name has given me an interesting perspective on the notion of misgendering, which I've come to accept as an unfortunate occasional byproduct of having a male name in a woman's body. It sucks to have someone call you he as you stand in front of them in a dress with your noticeable breasts and full makeup. 
And yet, it's reasonable that a person can see Ian and instinctively think boy without really giving it any other thought. It's true that it would be nice if everybody asked when confused, but a failure to do so does not necessarily imply bad intent. No misgendering is fun, but there's a clear distinction between an accident and someone going out of their way to editorialize your identity. I always correct people who misgender me, but I try not to treat it as a malicious attack against my humanity either, unless the person is trying to get a rise out of me. L.A. is the birth of hair metal. Not exactly a stretch to see a long-haired person named Ian in jeans and makeup and think rock star instead of woman. Let's go with that. It's always cringeworthy to be misgendered wearing casual clothes like jeans and t-shirts because your mind can become consumed with the idea that it wouldn't have happened if you were dressed like a woman out of Mad Men or a Disney princess. I'm sure that's probably true much of the time, but it doesn't really address the impracticality of being super made up at all times. Imagine spending an hour on your hair and contour before going out for milk in 7-Eleven. Who wants to put up with those crap standards? The first day I wore a dress with zero makeup was oddly liberating in that sense. Can't live in constant fear of other people's perceptions. Transitioning is full of unfair trade-offs that transgender people have to deal with. You never want to tell someone that misgendering is a part of life, because in a perfect world it wouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Having been on HRT for a few years, I hardly think I need makeup to look feminine, and shouldn't be forced to wear any just to be seen as the person I'm clearly presenting as, and yet, sometimes that shit happens. I'm sure you, the listener, are familiar with the phrase, you do you, or the many variations of, be yourself, were fed in high school. In a broader sense, that advice is given in reference to stylistic choices like clothes or entertainment tastes, encouraging self-confidence with choices that might open one up to broader public mockery. That's generally a positive thing for transgender people to remember, knowing that there are people out there who disapprove of us simply for being who we are. As good a mantra as you do you can be, such advice is not always 100% applicable in every circumstance. Like if you're in a job interview and some stiff, grumpy old man asks you how you spend your free time, answering with something like reading historical biographies or smoking cigars is generally a better idea than saying you play lots of video games or Dungeons and Dragons. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with either, but there are instances where tall tales offer more of a practical benefit than reality. I like looking like a princess, but I don't go to the grocery store in a Cinderella costume, even though I know I'd look absolutely adorable. You do you shouldn't supersede the instances where it might be smarter for you to do someone else instead. Not very honest or ethical, but certainly practical. And if you watch Game of Thrones a lot, you know that ethics can occasionally have their limits. We're not supposed to admit that, but, you know, it's true. When it comes to transitioning, authenticity is a word that's tossed around a lot. We transition at least in part to stop hiding in the closet, where our true identities are buried under a bunch of proverbial old coats, to show our true selves to the world. The actual presentation of that self on a day-to-day basis doesn't necessarily carry the same mandate of genuine expression. The people who put on suits before going to work aren't necessarily presenting their most authentic reality putting aside the various personal touches that can go into business fashion. Business chic. Chic's a word people don't use too often. We should. Chic anemone. People put on clothes, at least in part, to help shape the way they're perceived by others. The very reason you won't find a lot of people walking around the lobby of Goldman Sachs in tank tops and hot pink leggings. Dress codes are a societal contract that no one in particular drafted, but each of us plays along in our own sort of way. Before I transitioned, I used to dress fairly preppy in formal settings, opting for pink, red, yellow, or green pants instead of the standard shades of tan, gray, khakis. 
It was my way of playing along with the rules of dress codes, but making choices that stood out, reflecting the ever-present feeling of otherness that defined most of my early years. I used color to try and help reclaim some sense of individuality in a field of bland fashion thrust upon me by powers beyond my control. You can, of course, choose not to play along, which brings us back to my birth name. On that front, I looked at the way that process is typically done and decided I was going to plot a different course. For some, that might be the transition equivalent of walking into work wearing yoga pants and a tank top, but I always think back to the colorful pants I wore to school. I was at an all-guys school with uh, a shirt and tie dress code. That was hell for a lot of reasons, but I tried to make it better by wearing weird pants. I guess it probably sort of worked. There's no law governing over transgender people's names. In keeping Ian, I didn't intend to commit some crime against the governing laws of humanity. It wasn't like I changed my name to Crapbag, as Phoebe's husband Mike did in a season 10 episode of Friends. Mike was played by Paul Rudd. Fun character, sort of. Not really. Different, sure, but I have a hard time accepting this as some controversial act that undercuts my sense of womanhood. Weird decision, but thoroughly my decision. It may come as a surprise to you, but transgender people typically don't spend each day constantly obsessing over the particulars of our identities. On most days, I simply try to live my life, doing my best to find happiness in the depressing shithole that we call Trump's America. You may not believe me when I say I don't really care what people think of my femininity, but really, I just want my human rights protected. If much of the world thinks of me as some Pinocchio-style pretender who goes around saying, I'm a real girl, fine but I'm not going to go out of my way very much to try and convince them otherwise. Sure, people ask weird questions. Sometimes I wish they didn't, but that's not a concern so great I allowed it to influence the decision to keep my name. If life is a trade-off, then that was one I'm okay living with. Married women who keep their maiden names have to put up with questions like this all the time. Just because somebody doesn't want to change their name doesn't mean they're otherwise uncomfortable with their own identity. The best advice I could give to transgender people listening is to transition on your own terms. Make decisions that work for you, not ones you think you should make on behalf of some broader idea of how being transgender should work. This shit is complicated and highly personal. The way you transition should serve your own interests. That's not to say society will unquestionably accept every aspect of your journey, but at least you'll have some sense of peace of mind that I've been previously missing. That's really all that should matter. If you love the person you are inside, there are plenty of people out there in the world who are bound to follow suit. And that's it for the first episode of Estradial Illusions. If you like this episode, I debuted our second episode at the same time. It's on impeachment. Vastly different subject, but I hope you'll enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.